0: There's a beehive in the cage of the lion, and in, in the decayed carcass of the rib cage, bees have made a home in there.
1: All right. Welcome to your church friends podcast. I am Chris. And I'm your look. And we are here season three, The Villains. We're going to be continuing on with Samson. And we actually brought in a very special guest, lead pastor Chris Brown of North Coast Church down in San Diego. And we, we brought him here for this episode specifically. And we're so grateful that he said yes, actually, uh, out of his busy schedule, he took the time to come and talk to us two dudes. But we specifically brought in Chris because you gave a message at a conference we went to in Sacramento on Samson. And it just totally blew our minds. Like, it, uh, we, I walked out of there just like, I've never heard Samson preach this way. And, and, and of course, uh, for most people, if you go down and listen to uh, go look up North Coast Church, listen to Chris preach. Chris is known for being the storyteller. He, he comes in like uh, you're like the movie theater, like in a world where everything is destroyed by chaos. And you stepped up uh, onto that mic uh, on that stage. I remember it specifically. And you're like, she just wanted a child. And I was like, I'm in. So So Chris is a great storyteller. But you delivered this great message on Samson. So we thought, hey, if we're going to talk about Samson being uh, in the villain series, let's bring in Chris. So Chris, thanks for being on the show. And, and I think Murdoch's going to address you as Chris B and I'll be Chris A. So there's no confusion on who's he, who he's talking to. But thanks
0: for being on the show. man. Chris Murdoch, thanks for having me. This is really cool. And it's funny. You started talking about the Samson talk and I immediately in my mind went back and I remembered. Oh, I remember that talk and why I put it together and why at the time I thought, man, this is something every leader needs to get in one way or another. So uh, thanks for remembering. Really cool to be hanging out with you guys today.
1: Yeah, my favorite part was the the lead in how to be an idle idiot. Yeah. And I was like, he just said idiot at the pulpit.
0: (laughs) Well, if idiot shocked you, there may be a lot that I say. I mean, hopefully I got a good filter on where the gray area is. But yeah, I mean, I think that is the... If you want to follow a character in the Bible and you're going to follow Samson, that should be the title. Then it's how to be an ideal idiot, because that's exactly what you're going to be.
1: Well, let's get into that conversation then. Uh, I got a first question. Hopefully it ties into everything. But as we dig into Samson, go read Judges chapter 13 through 16. Either stop the podcast now and do it or do it afterwards. But that's going to give you the good details of where we're at. We'll probably pull in some scripture reference and talk about things like that but go out and listen to it or read it and that will lead you to wherever we're going so i I say that because this is a question that probably most people would be like what is he talking about but what does it being uh what does being a nazirite mean because that's what samson was born into
0: yeah and i think that's kind of the crux of it and uh and you know what i just i just went to youtube and did chris brown samson and that Thrive 2019 talk is there. So Oh,
2: awesome. Cool. We'll put it in the show notes. That yeah. way everyone can we'll follow it in up. Notes, with someone's
0: that. like, I want to see this for myself. It's right there. Yeah. Cause this whole thing starts with Manoah and you've got this husband and wife that don't have kids. And God said, I'm going to give you a kid. And here's the deal though. Um, I want him to be set apart. I want him to be consecrated, a big spiritual word to me. And so it, to do that, it's like, he is going to take a Nazarite vow. And so Manoah and his wife say, wow, God's going to give us a kid. We haven't been able to have a child. And he takes a Nazarite vow. And so Chris, like you said, right from the beginning, I think to really understand this story, you have to understand what God was asking and then what Samson didn't do most of his life. And and that Nazarite vow, you think, well, Jesus was a Nazarite, someone from Nazarene. No, no, long before (laughs) Nazareth, uh, There is a Hebrew word called Nazir, which means to be set apart or to be consecrated. And to be a Nazirite was someone that said, my life is completely devoted to God. Now, you want to be able to see that person. So one of the first signs you're going to notice is they never cut their hair. You never cut your hair. So there's an outward appearance that, man, something inside is different and going on. And then you you never eat or drink anything from the grapevine. So never anything that's done with grape or vinegar or the grape skins, no alcohol, no wine. And the other thing is your body's never going to touch a dead carcass. You don't want to be around anything that's defiled when you're going to be holy and separate to an undefiled God. Don't touch anything of decay or death when you are serving an eternal God. And so these were kind of the, the hallmark traits. This is in Uh, leviticus and numbers you can google it but they both talk about here's a nazirite vow john the baptist was nazirite the apostle paul for a short time because according to jewish tradition you can take this vow for 30 days not cutting your hair for 30 days ain't that much of a challenge if you ask me but um that's the shortest amount of time but these sometimes these vows were taken for years or for life for samson god said look Manoah and your wife i'm giving you a son but for all of his days, he will be a Nazarite and take this vow. So for his entire life, can't cut the hair, can't do anything with alcohol or wine, don't get around any dead bodies, any dead carcass, and you're gonna be devoted to God. And that was the premise and that's the basis of the story.
2: Yeah, I like how you how you really described that. I think you covered all the bases there and especially getting into even the timeline of it, using Paul as the example, that you'd be able to do it for a short amount of time because a lot of times it was something It was willingly entered into by somebody of age that can make the decision. But just to really shape when we're getting into the story of Samson, like you said, his parents are coming, they couldn't have a kid, there's this promised kid, and he's going to be a Nazarite. And when we see all of those components coming together, and especially the Nazarite thing, you brought up John the Baptist in the New Testament, but also Samuel from the Old Testament. And in my mind, when you first get into the story, it's like, oh, so that's the type of person this Samson guy is going to be. It really like that sets the stage for the whole thing. And yeah. yeah, coming back again, just I'm going to really encourage everybody to go to the show notes and watch that message that you gave, because you pull out so many of those little details. I'm sure that as we talk, pulling out these details that are so easy to glance over. But when we get the fullness of it, it, it really it makes the story so much more rich.
0: Yeah. And unless you know what God's asking from the beginning, you are going to mistake Samson for a hero his entire life. And when the end throws you a curveball, you're going to go, what in the world happened to Samson? I don't get where things went wrong. But if you understand the beginning, what God is asking, you're gonna see his entire journey that this guy was constantly playing around with sin or just being stupid. And then sometimes there's a fine line as a leader between sin and stupidity. And I can't quite tell one from the other, but they're both gonna kill leadership, especially in this day and age. In this day and age, it's just the accusation that takes away your leadership. It's it's no longer the sin itself. And we, this, Mm. this, this talk came about because that year I had seven different friends, acquaintances, or at least peers in ministry that I had known that all lost their ministry seven in one year, all for just doing things that were sinful or just incredibly stupid. And, and going into that leadership conference, then that was my heart. I mean, what is it we need to get and understand as leaders and biblically, what is the model to follow? And biblically, that's why I think Samson was such a great character, because you guys are doing your villain series right now on this podcast. But growing up my entire life, Samson was a hero. He wasn't a villain. And if we don't read scripture for the way it was intended for us to read it, we can mistake heroes and villains. And in our own leadership, we can think we're playing the role of hero when actually, if you're looking at what God's calling us to do, it's like, nobody, you're a villain. And you may want to get that straightened out before it burns you.
1: I like that you brought that up because I grew up in church my whole life growing up in Sunday school as a kid. Yeah, you you, I remember coloring Samson between the two pillars. Yes. like His hair was kind of medium length because it was growing back and he's pushing over the two pillars. And you're like, oh, cool. Samson just destroyed thousands of Philistines. He's he did it. He's God's guy. And he and he did it. But I always remember as a even as a kid looking at that and seeing his death and thinking like, well, he killed all these philistines but he also died himself that doesn't seem right like something didn't connect that it was like that that's just not right to me so i really do enjoy that you brought it up and i like everything that you said about the Nazarite, because to me i just look at it in the simplicity of being set apart and that once we kind of in our own lives decide to have a relationship with jesus we've had now set ourselves apart And it's keeping ourselves set apart from what the world has to offer. I I like the long hair thing because that's an outward symbol. Like people should recognize that we're Christians. Yeah, like Murdoch got it going around right now. He's got that. uh,
0: Murdoch uh, out holies the other two Chris's so far on this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Long locks. And Chris, I like that you brought that up because you're like, well, where's the Nazarite vow today? We're all called to be set apart and consecrated. It's that Romans 12, because of what God has done for us, because of what Christ has done, We offer ourselves daily as a living sacrifice. We daily now are consecrated. We are set apart. We're no longer ours. We're bought with a price. We are the very temple of God. So yeah, if someone's listening going, well, this was because of Nazarite, that's Old Testament. Our call to be set apart, consecrated for the purpose of God today is even higher than a Nazarite vow. So I think this applies even more to us today to go, where are you dancing in the enemy's territory? And then come to that and go, why are you being stupid? I mean, why are you allowing yourself to be taken out of the game? Because Chris, you're right. Um, His crowning, Samson's biggest crowning achievement was taking his own life, but allowed to take a lot of enemies with him. But the reality was, chapter before, God had already given up on Samson. God had already written off Samson's life. Just in one last plea, God said, okay, instead of dying alone, I'll let you die with a bunch of others, but you're done. And Samson had ruined his purpose in God's kingdom long before he got put between those two pillars.
1: Yeah, let's get into that then. Uh, so
0: where did Samson go wrong? <laughs> I think the question, if you read this, you've got to read it and go, where does he go right? Like, I actually, I read this story from chapter 13 is basically coming to Manoah and his wife and saying, I'm going to give you a son. But from chapter 14 on, when you look at Samson, amazing stories of strength. But I go, "Ooh, did you catch that? Did you catch that? So he, first of all, he finds a woman from the Philistine territory. He's not marrying a Hebrew or a child of God, a Jewish woman. He's found a wife from the enemy. And the Bible does say God's going to use this, you know, for his good. So I don't know if God says, I want you to marry one of the enemies or God sees Samson has his mindset, tells his parents, I'm marrying her, go get her for me. And God goes, okay, I'll use this. So is he led into this stupidity by God and it's, it's poor plan or is God using his stupidity I think the way this story goes out, it's going to show. He goes down to the enemy's territory, a young lion comes up on him, he rips the lion apart, throws it into a ravine. I mean, amazing strength. Sometime later, he goes back to get this girl for the wedding feast. He remembers he had torn a lion up out here and threw it in the ravine. And like any dude, he goes down to look at man, I threw a I threw a lion out here once. I wonder if the carcass is still there. There's a beehive in the cage of the lion. And in the decayed carcass of the rib cage, bees have made a home in there. And Samson just goes in barehanded, takes honey from bees. Amazing story. And when I get to heaven, I wanna rent this one. I wanna watch this one. And it says he comes back and he gives some honey to his parents, but there's a clue there. The Bible says, but he does not tell his parents where he had gotten it from. Now, again, if you're coloring it in Sunday school, this guy is awesome. This guy is a hero. But if you remember what God asked him to do, you can't be around any dead bodies or any dead carcasses. Samson has just defiled himself. He's just been inside a body of a dead lion. He got the honey out of it. He has already gone against what God is asking to do. He goes down to the enemy's territory. He makes, there's a, a big, it says there's a wedding feast going on. He makes a rash bet. I don't know if he's drinking. It definitely shows there's a celebration thing going on there. So you're not supposed to be around or drink anything of the vine. I don't know if he did or didn't, but it sure looks like he was stupid. He makes an idiot vow. Hey, I'm going to have a riddle. It's a seven-day wedding feast. If you can solve the riddle, I'll give you 30 pieces of clothing. If you can't, you know, you got to give me 30 pieces of clothing. So he makes this bet with the uh, enemy's family. And, and after seven days, his wife's begging, pleading. She's crying. Why don't you tell me the answer? He finally tells the answer. She tells her side of the family. And Samson realizes that he made a stupid bet. He told his fiance. She told her family. And now he's got to come up with 30 pieces of clothing. So where does he get that? He goes to the next town. He kills 30 men. He strips their dead bodies of their clothes. And he brings them back as his payment. Now, right there, clearly you got a Nazarite vow, no death, no dead bodies. And you've stripped 30 men and you brought their clothing back to pay off a wedding bet that you made. So then you've got this other story then that he leaves, he goes home angry. The dad, you know, marries his daughter off to the best man. Cause he's sure Samson's not coming back for his daughter after the harvest, after a whole season has come by, Samson goes back to get his wife. I'm trying to tell you the whole Sunday school story that none of <laughs> us got in Sunday school. And Samson goes back and the father-in-law goes, oh, I'm sorry. We, we saw you walked away mad. We didn't think you wanted to marry anymore. So we gave her away to the best man. Samson gets 300 foxes, ties them tail to tail, puts a torch tied in between their tails and sends them off running through, you know, the agriculture. And they burn the whole place, the Philistines down. The Philistines go to the what was supposed to be his wife, married to his best man. And they burn her and her father in their house. And they burn the whole house down with them inside. And we never got to color this in Sunday school. I never heard of this story. And then you've got the Philistines come up and you've got the great battle. And Samson goes out. He gets a fresh donkey's jawbone, a, you know, a big curvy jawbone with the teeth still in it. And he kills a thousand men. And you think, man, amazing power, amazing strength. He routs God's enemies, but he provoked the enemies. He was the one that was messing around the enemy territory. He's the one making bets. Yes, God still used it to destroy some of the enemy. But I think there could have been a better plan. And now we have him again for the third time, touching part of a dead animal, a dead carcass. The very next chapter, then it starts with, and Samson goes and finds a prostitute and he sleeps with her. And that's where we usually go, oh, that's where Samson went wrong. And I go, no, Samson's been going wrong. Every part of the chapter's up to this point. Now he just crosses the line big time.
1: I'm sorry to cut you off because I, I, oh, no, there's... There's some things I want to touch in there with chapter 14, because you took us through 14 and 15 amazingly, by the way. That you're you're just a great storyteller.
0: It's just a fun story. I'll get on. You have to cut
1: me off if you're gonna <laughs> say a word. Otherwise,
0: <laughs> this boy's just gonna rumble. Uh,
1: yeah, especially the foxtail thing. I, I just imagine that's how. Yeah. How? You capture how do you do that. How do you capture them? Time together, put a torch and they still just run through. But verse 14 for me uh, or chapter 14, it starts off Samson went down in my translation. And I've always heard that when you read went down, it's never a good thing in the Bible. It's always someone going towards somewhere they weren't supposed to be. And that's the first kind of like, like you said, this is Samson out the gate. This is Samson's kind of first story, and it's him going down. So it is very confusing because we do get taught growing up in the church that Samson is this character of nobility that he destroyed and conquered. But his life does, or, or his journey into ministry, I guess, if you want to call it that, does start with him actually going in the wrong direction.
0: And, and it's true. Anytime. It, it's funny. We go, go up is north, go down is south. But in Hebrew terms, going up is going to Jerusalem and going to the temple because it's the high mountain, it's the high elevation. So in, you can go up from any direction because you're going to temple, you're going to Mount Sinai. Going down is going away from the temple. The Philistines live in the coastal plains, the Mediterranean, the eastern side of the Mediterranean. So he is going down. He's going out of the temple area, out of Israel, and he's going in the enemy's territory. In fact, 13, I believe, is just about his parents. But 14, 15, 16, the entire story of Samson, I don't know if there's a story about him in Israel. Mm. It's just dawned on me. Every story we have, he's in the Philistine territory. That's where he's finding his wife. That's where he's finding his prostitutes. That's where he's finding his women. That's where he's finding his celebration. That's where his wedding is. I mean, every story I think we have, I may be wrong, but right now I'm trying to quickly fast forward through Samson's story. Every story of Samson, he is living, delighting, celebrating, playing in the enemy's territory. For 20 years, he led Israel as a judge. We don't have any stories of him being in Israel. Now, again, a critic's going to go, well, the spirit came on him to kill a lion. It did. The spirit came on him to kill 30 men. It did. The spirit came on him to kill a thousand men. It did. God is still using stupid, you know, and if you take a look at the judges through the book of Judges, it's not that these were great spiritual people. These were more warriors at the time that held off the enemy or because Israel cried out, God raised up a warrior leader to put the enemy down at that time. Let's not make them heroes or spiritual giants. It just so happens that God is drawing a straight line with a very crooked stick, and he's using very imperfect people, and in this case, a very stupid person, to still carry out, you know, against the enemy, so. And to kind of bring
2: those things together, even as we keep pulling everything together, um, we start off with him going down, and this is the first recorded instance of him going down, and Chris has uh, Chris B as you were telling the story through to kind of chapter 16 towards the end when he loses his life and you said it was just before that that the spirit of God left him kind of gave up on him and we just see that slope of like all right well it starts in 14 that first time he goes down and he just keeps going down he keeps going into the enemy territory you highlighted in chapter 14 when you said that he did not tell his father and mother what he had done and I just want to say that out of this whole story, I think that his parents are the real heroes they received for a word from God. They were they kept to that thing. And we don't have a recording of Samson's early life. But I think that they were good parents to him and keeping him on that right track to the point to where. All right. So Samson goes down. Right. But he doesn't want to tell his parents because I think that his parents were the type of parents to go, wait, what's going on? Yeah, you know, we want to hold you accountable to that thing. So it almost shows within Samson, something that I've seen in my own life that because my parents are, are great, they're godly parents. And when I first started screwing up, it's like, ah, I know if I'm honest about this, I'm going to hear about it and have that conviction. I want to keep going down. And it's kind of in that keeping yeah. the secret of keep going down that keeps you going down. At least that was my experience of it. So and I think as much as-
0: it's an encouraging word for parents just to go. Hey, the proverb says train up a child in the way that they will walk and they will not depart from it. That's a proverb. It's not a promise. You can be Mano and his wife, being loved by God, being led by God. God, answer your prayers. God gives you a child that's dedicated to him. And I think Murdoch, you've got a great point. I think his parents would have straightened him out. That's why he didn't tell him. He knew it was wrong and he knew they would stand for what's right. And as a parent. You can do all the right things, all the right training, all the right upbringing, and you still have a child of free will that can walk away from you and walk away from God. And so many times the guilt of a parent that has a prodigal son or daughter, we should have done more. We could have and it's like, you know what? God has given this free will and it is in each and every one of us to have a choice. And a proverb says, bring up a child in the way they should walk. It's not a promise. It's most likely. This is how you stack the deck in your favor, but you could still draw a joker like Samson who's gonna do his own thing.
1: I really like that from both of you guys. And the uh, the the real thing that I'm catching here is what Samson is. He went down, he's, he's, he's taking himself out of God's presence because he went out of Jerusalem into the Philistine territory. And then he's keeping secrets and he's keeping secrets. And and we have a saying at our church, what is it?
2: You're as sick as your secrets.
1: You're as sick as your secrets. Wow. And to to have that, the 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 secret keeping it away from his parents because he knew they would be the ones to say like no this is wrong Samson we raised you better than this you know at this point how to to be better than that but that nature inside of him that just wanted to kind of go away from from what he was almost called to and led him into secrecy and then it also brings this to like one of my favorite lines in the bible of when he says if you want to plow with my heifer you wouldn't have known <laughs> i mean that's just Classic Samson right there, right? Villain yeah. 101, you call your fiance a heifer,
0: that's, that's he villainous. He gets away with women, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, and so you have this, here's what God's desire is, here's what God's plan is, and then you have him, you know, stepping away, stepping away, stepping away, stepping away, which gradually leads him to, I'm just now, nah, I didn't get the wife I wanted, I don't have the marriage I wanted, I don't have the relationship I wanted, I'm going to spend the night with the prostitute, you know, boom, 16. Uh, They go up to kill him when he wakes up in the morning, but he gets up early, chairs the gates off the city. And then the next thing you turn around, he now he goes back and he finds another prostitute, Delilah, and he falls in love with Delilah. And she has got away with men and tell me your strength and tell me your strength. And he gets closer and closer to the edge. If you tie me up with, you know, fresh bowstrings, if you braid my hair, he's getting closer and closer to the secret. And then if you cut my hair. You know, and she each time calls in men to do this, tie him up, braid his hair. He keeps playing with sin because he's got such amazing successes. He doesn't realize he's in danger. And I think that's that's really the moral of the story. Great successes can hide small sins and it's the small sins that are going to kill you. But we hide behind our successes. Well, this is going good. This is going good. This must not be that bad. And he keeps flirting in the enemy's territory, flirting in the enemy's territory. And then his hair is cut off. The Philistines come in. He thought, and that's one of the scariest verses in the Bible, somewhere in there in 16, it says, he got up and thought that the Holy Spirit would come on him as before, but he didn't know the Spirit of God had left him. And man, as a leader, that verse right there should be terrifying you know, that you keep playing in your own territory, doing the game your way. And there's gonna be a point where you have no clue that the spirit of God had left you. And that's how the story ends. You know, they send him to grinding in the mill, his hair starts to grow back. So they pluck out his eyes, they use him as a slave. They use him as mockery in front of their banquets, because this was the enemy's greatest fear. Now they have him chained like a wild blind animal. And that final prayer is, put me between the two pillars, And God, as I take my life, allow me to take others. And God goes, okay, you can die that way, but I have no other use for you. You have so many times danced in the enemy's territory. What God's plan and desire for you as a leader, He's got no use for you. So you can just take others down with you. And yet, somehow in Sunday school, we colored this guy as an amazing hero. This guy is a step by step how to be an idiot as a leader and how to be an idiot as a human being and it is there chapter 13 14 15 16 so adults never dress up like samson like we used to do as little kids in church
2: man it's really sad like when we put it together and like realize all the things and realize the life and i think that as we become adults and we see that and we can see ourselves and see you know warning signs and just different things When you were saying that kept flirting with it, but his successes were covering it up. They didn't realize he was playing with something dangerous. It's crazy to me. Delilah was saying, tell me the secret. And he would tell her and she would do the thing. She was literally doing the thing that she thought would bring him down. And he's experiencing it going, I'm telling this person what will bring me down. And this person is doing the thing that they think will bring me down. Nah, I'll stay here. And just again and again and again and just not getting through that he's not invincible and just like the danger that's really there like I've surrounded myself with people who want to bring me down and it's just not penetrating into
0: anything just like I don't know and you look at it and go how stupid can he be I mean when he said hey tie me up with fresh bowstrings," and then when he falls asleep and he wakes up and he's tied he's like well don't share anything else with this chick ever again No, he goes the next step and then the next step. And yet this is the most amazing picture of what happens when we play with the area of lust and sexuality. We step into it and we realize, oh, that didn't burn me. We step into it again and realize God's still using me. We click on it a little further. We watch a little more. We entertain the thoughts a little more. We go down that path a little more. And every time, because we're successful leaders, we go, well, that's not bothering me. Evidently, it's not that bad. I'm not getting hurt by this until once and for all, I, I love the way Proverbs says it, you know, like a bird that fl- you know flies into a net, like a deer into a snare, man, it just takes you and you realize, hey, I'm just going to go out as before, but you didn't realize the spirit of God has left you. And you're like, I'm done. And you're like, how did I get here? Well, you got here by testing the waters in what you're clicking on and what you're downloading and what you're watching and what your entertainment is and what your relationships are and going, well, you know, God God must be okay with it. This isn't that bad. Nothing's going wrong in my life. And we confuse God's patience with his pleasure. Mm -hmm. We confuse God's patience with us being a sinner as God condoning it. And and that's where we're going to get into this thing of, you know, we're on a slow path to certain death that's what the enemy does with us.
1: I really like that you brought that up, Chris, because I think even as we look at Samson's life, the secretness that he kept in like touching the dead carcass and everything that pornography is one of those secret killers within the church and within leadership and it is that. Oh, I'm still I'm still speaking every Sunday with success or I'm still leading a ministry that's doing well and thriving or I'm still actually, you know, God hasn't ripped me out of leadership so i can still run this game or play this game of being having a secret life doing this and looking at that and and going down that road because i'm still successful in the terms of what the world says is success and and it's it's a scary slope and it's very dangerous and i think it's one that seriously as the church today we need to it's so secret and private that no one talks about it because it's secret and private and it's also kind of Let's not talk about pornography or, or what's being done and what people are doing, because yeah, we don't need to touch that. Let's leave that secret. But I, I do think it is something that the church needs to start addressing more because we need to start pulling guys and women and leaders out of this, this shame hole that they kind of get themselves into, or even this arrogance of, I'm still doing okay, so why, why stop? Like nothing bad has happened. For me, I always grew up because just the way my dad was. I did something wrong. I got punished. So I correlated that to God. Like if I did something wrong, I was waiting for God's punishment. And then I would start just like picking it up where if I got a speeding ticket, I was like, oh, that's my punishment because of X, Y, and Z. And so I kind of always expected it. But I think you're right that like we can run because we're not seeing a ramification or we're not seeing anything bad. We can keep running in an area that's not healthy for
3: us. So sorry to interrupt, but it's me, Reed. I'm here to tell you about this new hair product from the Bee Attitude Beauty Line. This Beauty Line gave us the Peacemaker Shampoo and Conditioner, which was amazing. except set for the whole cat scratch fever thing. But anyway, now there is the Nazarite to help you strengthen your hair. The Nazarite is a new, state-of-the-art shampoo made with all-natural oils that will make your hair stronger and thicker. It shrinks in your hair so much, it's almost impossible for a razor to cut it. It's the only shampoo strong enough to prevent you from making a bad decision with your hair. The Nazarite shampoo is a must for you. It will make your hair Nazarific. Hey guys, I'm back because legally I have to warn you that the Nazarite shampoo is not FDA approved and can have numerous side effects. I mean so many that I can't even mention them. Rinse and repeat at your own risk. Now back to the show.
0: I think the other thing that compounds that is we live in a day and age where we confuse giftedness with godliness. Mm -hmm. And because I'm gifted, therefore I'm godly. Because my giftedness is still working, therefore I must be okay with God and I'm spiritual. And those two things are so far apart, it's ridiculous. But we still honor giftedness as godliness. And nothing could be further from the truth. And we can still use our gifts without the power of God or the Holy Spirit. I mean, I think almost any leader that's leading anything listening realizes your life before god it's not like you weren't gifted you had those gifts you were using them. it's not like the only gifted people in the world are christians have you noticed everyone who's non-christian has no leadership ability and has no gifts no that's not it at all everyone has been given giftedness you know it's a psalm 139 we've been knit together in our mother's womb we are fearfully we're wonderfully made and we look at this and just go yeah and that's the problem you know samson can look at his giftedness and go i'm okay Samson can look and go, man, look what I've done. I can rip gates off of cities. I can tie foxes together. I can take down 30 men. I can take down a 1,000 men. Therefore, God must be happy with me. My giftedness is still working. For every ministry leader that's wrapped up in whether it's pornography or an immoral relationship, a lack of anger, gossip, pride, you can still use your giftedness. You still show up and volunteer on Sunday. You can still lead a children's classroom. You can still help lead a youth group or a small group. And yet what you don't realize is now you're purely functioning out of you. It's you and your giftedness. Your giftedness is not being used by the giver. And I tell you, you can do ministry, but it's unfulfilling. It's unsatisfying. There's no freedom that comes in it. And your life is covered with guilt and shame. And I don't know a more miserable place to be than in ministry, using your gifts without the spirit. It is frustrating. It is miserable. You know it. It is dead. It is a lot of work. And we were never designed to do it that way, but God will allow us to take our giftedness outside of him and use it. And then we think, because we're still using our giftedness, I must not be doing that bad. That's a really frightening thing to be in that situation. Like you said,
2: you're aware of it. And I think that Samson was completely aware of it too. Again, if we look at how he was raised and what he knew the vows and just like the steps and the steps and the steps. But what a scary thing it is. And and you've mentioned it a few times, but there in verse twenty when it says he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Cause again, within Christianity, I know that even at times where I've just been on slippery slope is that God is good. And like you said, I still have my giftedness, or you know, we have our view of God that well, He's always forgiving and He's always there, and there's just it always seems like, well, it'll be okay in the future. I can keep going this way, it'll because it's always been okay. But he just woke up and didn't know that the Lord had departed from him, and I think that dancing around in enemy territory and just getting deluded and numbed by sin even is that it almost seems like, no, nah, that's not a reality, or that is a reality that I don't care about, that, oh, God might just be done with me one day. Yeah. Um, I think it's an underlying fear, but at that point, the sin has so taken over our way of thinking that. It's not having the conviction that it should. There's just such a scarring there on our consciousness that it's
0: really, (laughs) I don't know, it's terrifying. It is. I remember driving home from a conference and it was, I'm going to date myself here, but it was either in 1992 or 93. And I think it was 93. And I had gone down to, at this time I'm up in uh, East LA, Pomona, East LA County. And I was a youth pastor and I'd gone to a conference in Anaheim somewhere. And it's, I, I still don't remember who said it. I don't remember what the rest of the talk was about. I simply remember a speaker saying this If the Holy Spirit left your ministry, how long would it take for you to find out? And that entire drive back up the 57 freeway, heading back to Pomona, I could not get that thought out of my head. If the Holy Spirit left your ministry, how long would it take for you to find out? And by the time I got home, I knew my answer was, never if the holy spirit left my ministry i don't think i'd ever find out unless someone told me because my ministry is so much of the chris brown show it's my giftedness it's my talents i couldn't pinpoint where the spirit was working i was so full of self i wasn't full of sin as much at that time it was just full of self it was so much of well, god made these this way god made me a gift I'm a fun guy with students. I'm a creative guy in setting up programming. I'm a good teacher when it comes to high school students. I'm a highly relational guy. I'm working with all these inner city kids. And it was a Chris Brown show that was going on. And I I remember, man, that question just paralyzed me. If the Holy Spirit left my ministry, how would I know it? And that question sent me onto a journey that even still today I'm with and wrestling with of man, where am I, at? you know, cause God has given you gifts, but I love my gifts more than the giver. And I was more about using my gifts and spending time with the giver. But the sweet spot in ministry is when the giver of those gifts are using those gifts. If you using your gifts by yourself without the work of the Holy Spirit because sin in your life is one of the most frustrating, one of the most fruitless, one of the most dry, barren, convicting, uh, just guilt, responsible times of ministry. I've just thought with all this responsibility falls on me. The opposite is what you're going to find when the Holy Spirit is using the gifts that he gave you. It is so freeing. It is so enjoyable. It is so fruitful to walk off a stage or to walk off whatever you're leading, organizing, administrating, whatever your gifts are, and to realize, man, I've just been used in amazing ways like that. And to know and sense, this is what the Spirit did today. This is what I didn't plan that. I couldn't have done that. I didn't come up with that for in a thousand years. I couldn't come up with that. That is the sweet spot of ministry going, I am absolutely being used for what I was created to do. Man, I'm addicted to that. I'm addicted to walking in that spirit that way and just going, I just want more.
1: I I liked what you said. I think you said I worship the gift more than the giver. Yeah. And, and I like that because I found myself there a, a plenty of times. But when when my ministry fell apart where where you know I had to stop pastoring, my marriage was basically in shambles. And now we have a newborn and a three-year-old and we're trying to figure out our marriage. It was because during a lot of that time, I was relying so much on my giftedness than I was. I I remember, and and I share this so openly because I don't want people to fall into the same trap. I had gone a year plus without even reading my Bible while preaching and teaching people, you need to be in your Bible because that's an important part of your relationship. But because I was relying so much on, uh, I wouldn't prepare for speaking because I was like, I'm good. I could go up there and do this without even putting in the time or effort. I wasn't spending time with God because I felt like I could do this without it. Because I had done it without it, it led me to consistently thinking that I didn't need it. And then it became like, yeah, Chris is doing everything great. Chris is the one who's running everything. And it wasn't until God kind of had to knock me down, tear me down until I realized that like, no it's it's all about what he's done and and when I look back at it and what you were saying is that I, I was realizing I was building little chris kingdoms yeah. I, I wasn't building God kingdoms, I wasn't doing anything for the giver. I was doing everything for me and for myself and my own pride and, and God ripping that out was just one of the most painful experiences, but also the most beneficial in my life because now it, i I just feel like I'm a changed person when it comes to all that i I remember. And it's one thing I have to deal with with speaking is I can walk off a stage and go, I knocked that out of the park yep. and I know it. And, and I could instantly people start telling you, oh, that was great. Great job. You're, that was so good. And my head just starts going to bloop, and it starts getting bigger. I have to pray myself off the stage now as I'm walking off. I am praying, God, thank you for just using me thank you for giving me this opportunity. So I don't get caught up and wrapped up in my giftedness anymore.
2: I think that both of you touching on it. And I think that God's grace is so good in our lives that he has revealed those things and he, uh, showed us and through conviction, being able to bring us out of some of that pride and just as relying on the giftedness and stuff that when we look at Samson, it's what could have been what should have been when we're looking at God raising up this ruler that man, you look at these other guys that were born into a Nazarite vow and what that turned into right and just looking at what Samson's life could have been at any point along the road too right at any point that there could have been that repentance and turning back because I just that's just God's character (laughs) you know Is it's like hey if you listen to the conviction and you turn to me we have a forgiving God. We have a loving and gracious God who will welcome us back in. Doesn't mean that there won't always be consequence to things or, you know, adjustments in life, but to really be able to restore there. And I think that when we see how much God still accomplished through Samson, even through all of the disobedience and even through everything, just really looking at, well, what could have been there? And even just to go back to the beginning of this conversation, that the calling that God has placed on our lives as Christians just dwarves the Nazarite vow. I mean, it's like, okay, don't touch a dead body. Don't eat from grapes and you know, let your hair grow long. And we're called to, hey, become more and more Christ-like by degree by degree. And I don't just to really take that seriously because I can look at a big chunk of my life where I go, yeah, that was a Samson experience right there. But then for wisdom to kind of set in and go, don't let that be the future. And I think that we have a God that the past doesn't have to be the future. I think that that's the whole thing about the gospel is like, no, the future can be something entirely different and full of joy. Chris B., as you were saying, you can have that completely fruitless ministry. You can have a fruitless marriage. You can just live in just the insanity of it all or to enter into
0: God's grace in amazing ways. And and I think that's that. I I love, Murdoch, what you said, what could have been, because if you've, if you've lasted this long in the podcast to go, man, Samson was demonic. Is he an evil guy? But he's a judge. God used him. It's not that he is. He's a villain as far as what he could have done. He could have led for more than 20 years. I don't think parents are ever supposed to have to go and under a pile of rubble, dig out their son and bury him. His The way he ended, there's an asterisk by him. Now, on the other hand, I'll go to Hebrews chapter um, is 11 or 12, the Hebrews Hall of Faith. What more shall we say then about Jephthah, about Gideon, about Barak, about Samson? He's given honorable mention in the New Testament as these great heroes of faith. But Gideon is also put there. And Gideon's another guy that I look at and go, man, the fleece wasn't a good thing. You know, we use this term in, in leisure, well, I'm gonna put a fleece out before God. <laughs> and I'm like, don't, a fleece was dumb. You doubted God and when God showed up, you doubted him again and you put the fleece out again. And at the end of Gideon's life, his whole family worshiped and prostituted themselves in front of his ephod. And so it's like, Gideon, God used you in spite of you. And I think both those are another great example of what could have been. And I think that's kind of where I put Samson. He was a judge. He does get honorable mention at the end of in the New Testament in Hebrews. However, there was so much more there. And when the Bible goes to write his story, it tends to very specifically give us what not to do instead of how to do this. And so I think that's the thing for leaders. We can get in a trap of, well, my ministry is good or things are going well. You know, th- I'm not that bad. I'm not a villain. It's not about your villain. It's about how much more does God have for you that you're not stepping into, that you're not a part of because you're dancing in the enemy's territory. It's, it's not that you're like, well, my life's not going to hell. I haven't been discounted. Everything hasn't been stripped for me. No, that's not the point. How much more does God have for you that you're not taking part of in your relationship, in your family, in your ministry, because you're dancing in the enemy's territory? You've settled for a ministry of good enough because I have this hand on ministry, this hand on sin on my life, and there's supposed to be so much more. And that's how I kind of look at Samson. Yeah, God used him. Yes, the spirit came upon him three different times. Yes, in the midst of his stupidity slash sin, I'm not sure where to draw the line on him. The enemy was routed. But was this really the way it was supposed to go? Man, there should have been so much more.
1: I like what you're saying that like there should have been more. Is this the ministry that he was called for? And when I kind of want to break this down is to like in our own Christian lives, is this the life or the relationship that we wanted with Christ? I'm just taking and taking and taking. I'm going away from you but I'm not fully giving everything I have to you kind of life, but get to my question. So how do we avoid the stupid?
0: I love that you're ending with that because that's application. Okay. We spent some time talking about Samson we really dialed into the story. We saw it with something different than Sunday school eyes. You know, the guy on the flannel graph board, that's supposed to be a hero. <laughs> we really saw it with adult eyes as it was written to. And now we look at our life and go, where do I avoid stupid? And where do I avoid the enemy's territory? I first got to look at my entertainment. I got to look at my relationships. Where do I avoid the enemy's territory? What do you know about Samson's wife? Well, he didn't have one. He had the shot of having one, but he blew that. The other women he had were prostitutes and one that led him astray. He didn't have a wife. What do you know about his kids? Didn't have one. The wife that he had, I mean, that whole home burned to the ground, literally. And I think that's where we start as leaders. We look at and go, how do I keep, forget my ministry. How do I keep my, her- my home from burning to the ground? What are the areas? And we would, if, in, in our moments of honesty before God, this is the end of Psalm 139, where David is, lays his life open to God. Search me and try me. Find, is there any way in me that's not consecrated to you? Is there anything in my life that's keeping me from you? God, let's get it out of my life. I want to protect my home. Then I can start looking at my ministry. Because according to Timothy Titus, Hallmarks of Leadership, your home gives you the right to lead or not, not your giftedness and your success. And so you've got to look at it and go, what's coming between me and my marriage? What's coming between me and my kids? If you're single right now as a leader, what's coming between me and a singleness that glorifies God? Where am I going down in the enemy's territory? Where am I playing in the land of the Philistines? Where is my seven fresh bowstrings? It might not be a sin, but man, I'm flirting with that gray area so much right now. And how do we root those things out of our life? And I think that's the application of the story. Man, how can I have the strength of the spirit, the usefulness of Samson, and yet never go down his road? Again, I I didn't go back and read the chapters for this, but I don't know of a story where Samson is in the promised land. Every story we have of Samson, he's in the enemy's territory, not walking in the promised land. And so I think that's for the leader to take home today to go, you know it you know it. Dude, you know it. Sister, you know it. Where are you playing in the enemy's territory? The Holy Spirit's convicted you of that. You have it right now in your heart. Why are you dancing there? Why are you flirting in that area? Why are you relying on your success and your giftedness to think it must not be that bad? You are just pushing the patience of God, and you're thinking he's condoning this, and he's not. And jump out of it right now. Prayer of forgiveness, the strength and power of God to move away from it. And then for the future, we set up boundaries to make sure I never go down there again. How do I make sure I never visit Timna again? Man, I'm, I'm not going places with the opposite sex. I'm not going to put myself in a place where even I approach stupid. Forget about sin. We need to avoid stupid, not sin. And so that's what I got to look in my life. And I think each of us are led away, led astray in different ways. How do I put those borders up? And you go, Chris, that sounds like legalism. No, it's legalism if you put it on everyone else. It's smart leadership when you put it on yourself to say, hey, this isn't, this isn't a command of God. But for me, I'm not even going to go there because that's my area. I got buddies that go, hey, I'm not going out with guys who drink. I'm not hanging out there. They won't put it on anyone else, but they come from a long line of alcoholics and they've been sober themselves now for nine years. They know it's stupid if I go in that arena. Well, then don't go in that arena. And we all have areas to go, man, for me, I know this is where my snare is. We set up boundaries ahead of time. That's spiritual awareness, not stupidity, and say, this is why I'm not going there. This is why I can't do that. I'll go through a list of things that I do in my life sometimes with leaders, and I'll have guys go, man, I think you're you're paranoid, or I think you're going overboard. And I go, ask my wife. (laughs) My wife loves the boundaries that I've made. I've got two brides I need to protect in my life, the one at home and the one that I serve, and that's his. And so, yes, I'm going to put up barriers and roadblocks to make sure if these are my areas of weakness, don't even start to go down that road because you'll take a few steps and you'll take a few steps and you'll find out I'm still being used. I still got a great ministry. It's not that bad. The stove's actually not hot. And before you know it, you end with an asterisk next to your name.
2: Man, all of that was so good. So many things I was, I should have been taking notes because you hit a few different things there. But when you were saying that, when was Samson ever in the promised land, right? And we've kind of touched on it just in the living in the negative versus in the positive. And that's how much I see within the Christian life is the goal isn't just, hey, get out of the negative. It's explore the full positivity, explore what's in the promised land. And I think that it's in first John, where it talks about that, hey, you can get in a place with God where he'll protect you from the evil one. And I think that the solution isn't just, hey, concentrate on the negative and what it is that we're supposed to avoid and all that. But in looking to God and drawing closer to him, because drawing closer to God is going to be taking us away from that, right? If he was constantly going up, as you were saying to the temple, if he was spending all of his time up, then he couldn't have been going down. So kind of looking at that, I think that a huge thing, as you were saying, to avoiding stupid is to just be drawing closer to God. And seeing all the goodness that's there but also you're talking about just those not the legalism but the laws right to to kind of as the old testament put it to to delight ourselves in the law of the lord that was one of the things that i don't think that we touched on but that i saw right at the beginning of samson's life is that when he went down to timnah and he saw the woman that he wanted to marry that goes against one of the laws right that they weren't to intermarry so right there you have a guy that's supposed to be consecrated to god and there's a law And it starts off with him not honoring God's law, and there's a breaking of the law that's there, and instead of delighting in the law, and even as you were saying, gladly taking on um, that and submitting to God in ways that, hey, to keep me safe, to keep me consecrated, to keep just this life as full as it should be, to go in that direction, because I think that James is very wise when he says, When tempted, no one should say, God has tempted me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted by his own evil desires, and he is lured away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And that's what you were saying, Chris, as well as that, hey, ask God to examine each of our own hearts, right? What is the desire that's there? You mentioned drinking. For some people, drinking, other people with stuff on their phone. For me, I've lived a life of all of the above to I just, yeah, I need to have guardrails all over the place to really keep myself.
1: Yeah. The one thing I like that you brought up was entertainment. Like, what, what's our entertainment? Because I feel like for a lot of people, that's where the slippery slopes start beginning to go down. What we're watching, what we're putting in. I got to find this on my phone real quick. So if I have to edit this, but you just said this, or you may have said this. You said this a while ago. I just listened to your thrive message from recently this year. I think it was where it was just the bayside staff only, and you said what you look at is what you see, and that is that's
0: about as profound as I get, folks.
1: (laughs) But (laughs) even in that, like I mean, you joke about the simplicity of that statement, but like that, was, it just my mind went boom because you were talking about how a, a wonderful message to listen to, and it really helped me again. Every time I hear you, I'm like. Chris, stop talking to me because you're hitting places I don't want to be hit. But when you said that and you mentioned that uh, you were watching news a lot and that had really started to mess with your, your thought processes and where you're at, that hit hard for me because that's where I was at. Yeah. And so I heard this message last week. I'm going on almost a week without watching news because I really looked at what you said. What you look at is what you see, And I really started to let that hit my heart because what am I putting in? What am I visually letting in? What am I putting into my ears? Because if it's not something that's going to edify my relationship with God, why do I need it? And and going back to what Murdoch said, like, yeah, I need to delight in the Lord. Am I delighting in God's word so much that I, I, I aim for it more? I actually did two things after I heard that message. I deleted an app on my phone. It was a game that I had spent years on. I had a team where we talked all the time and I would spend hours on this app trying to achieve the next level, achieve the next reward, get to the next spot. And-
0: How high was your clan castle? Come on. uh,
1: No, it wasn't clans. It it was worse (laughs) than that. It was a a WWE super card game. Uh, So it was wrestling. (laughs) and it was basically like pokemon with wrestlers so if your card was stronger you'd put it down and you could win the match
0: uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, i apologize that i had you publicly admit that I, <laughs> that, that should be deleted
1: <laughs> it's okay i just went to
0: uh
1: <laughs> i just went to summer in las vegas uh so that was all over my social media anyways but uh the entertainment the, the that that app it took so much of my time i delete i told them i said hey i gotta prioritize my life better so I messaged my team and I said, I'm out. And I deleted that app because I, it, and Murdoch could say, he, he's seen me grinding away on that thing and playing it, but it, it just took me away from God. It took me away from my family. It took me away from being present with people and, and with God. And, and when I, when you said that, what you see or what you look at is what you see. That was something I knew I had to get rid of because of that. And, and I think that kind of goes into what Samson's life was, what he was constantly looking at wasn't what God wanted him to see. It was what he wanted to see. And that's what the tragedy of his life is, is that he, he, he ended it that.
0: You know, it's funny, you bring that up and my mind's going through the story going, we see a lot of giftedness. We don't see a lot of spirituality, do we? I mean, you know, again, if there's someone still listening to this and they're a critic of, I don't think Samson's a villain. I think, where do we have that you say, this is where you pattern your life after? You know, we we don't see him pursuing God. We don't see a relationship with God anywhere in the story. We don't see him pursuing values or the fruits of the spirit or of God. I can't come up with a story where it's like, man, that's what that's the character of godly men and women. Again, of the time of judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It was really hard for God to find spiritual leadership in the time of judges in Israel. It just wasn't there. The the book of Judges, I think 17 times says, once again, once again, once again, once again, Israel did what was right in their own eyes. Once again, Israel did. It's a constant. And God is stepping into a very godless culture using warrior leaders just to kill the enemy so they won't wipe out his people because he knows a Messiah is going to come. There's not much to work with in Israel at this time. He's just protecting a promise that a Messiah will come from this nation. And so you look at Samson and go, I can't find godly characters or pursuit in his life. I find a God for the sake of wanting to bring a Messiah to you and I still working through very lousy people and a terrible culture just to bring his nation to a point where we can have a Messiah. So yeah, I think you look at that and go, yeah, where's the godliness that's even there to go? I May mean, if you want to turn this podcast around and go, here's the pattern of, of Samson that we should all follow. I don't have principles for you.
2: Yeah, our pastor has been preaching through Samson for, I think it's been a five-week message. And <laughs> two or three of them have just basically been, here's what not to do. And that's where you find the positivity is learning from the negative lesson, definitely. Chris A, you were just saying, you know, what are we looking at? Well, I guess you heard that from Chris B. So all the Chrises are saying the same thing. Oh, well, it just made me think of Colossians 3, to set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And then it goes on to say, the result of that is to put to death therefore the components of your earthly nature sexual immorality impurity lust right so focusing on god puts to death the sexual immorality and the lust that's good
1: stuff yeah any final words chris Uh, as we wrap up i want to be uh conscious of your time since you've allowed it to be a part of our show and, and being here. So any, any final words for the audience, for people it's listening?
0: Heard out, Chris. Thanks for what you guys are doing. I mean, taking a real look at biblical characters, an honest look, I feel like, and portraying them because I really believe God has given us great men and women of the Bible for, for, for both positive and negative examples to show us, man, and almost every character is going to have positive and negative. There's only two pure characters holy in the entire Bible, Jesus Christ. And if you want to, you can go and look at Daniel. But Daniel wrote his own book, so I'll put an asterisk next to that. <laughs> um, but otherwise, you're not going to find sinless people in the Bible. You just won't. And I love that the Bible takes its heroes slash villains, because we play both parts in our life, and puts it out there. It doesn't hide the flaws of its characters. It shows us. Let me show you God's plan, God's desire, but let me show you what someone did for good and bad. So we have those examples now to look at and say, don't be like Samson. God's grace and God's mercy is all over that story, just like it's all over our own stories. Don't take advantage of God's grace and mercy. Where am I playing in the enemy's territory? Where am I not safeguarding my own marriage, my own bride, my own home? where am i relying on myself and not the spirit let me start those prayers to change that and god i don't want to end this ministry with an asterisk next to my name i want to end this ministry with a well done good and faithful my wife and i don't want to take the stage and talk about our burnout periods in our marriage we want to talk about why we never burn out i want to look in the eyes of my children when they're grown adults and not worry about what they're really thinking inside because of what dad did in 2021 or 2023 or 2024. I wanna be able to look at adult children in their eyes and they know, man, I love the way dad ran this race and the way he protected the home. And that's what, that's what this story, I think that's what this podcast is all about. That's what you guys are doing in the series. So thanks for letting me be a part of it. For those that are listening, you've got some homework to do now. Where do you open your life and say, God, search me and try me? Where do I have Samson qualities in my life that I need to get rid of now before it's too late?
1: Awesome stuff. Thank you, Chris. I'm going to speak for me and Murdoch right now, Uh, but thank you for being on the show. You have been uh, instrumental. And I talked about it before we started recording on even actually us getting together and and doing this podcast. You kind of challenged me personally to, to take some steps to get my life back together, get my relationship with God. Really what you told me was stop being an ideal idiot a few years ago. And it it really, you know, I'm that person who, if he told me like, don't do that in the nicest way, I'm not going to listen to you. I need someone to like smack me in my face and say, stop being dumb. And uh, you did that for me. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And and just thank you for being on the show. This is super cool. This is for me a moment of like, hey, I get to talk to someone I really look up to as a spiritual mentor from a distance. He may not know it, but we get to have this conversation now and, and I get to say, Hey, Chris Brown is my friend because he's on my show, your church friends or our show, your church friends. So uh, thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate it.
0: This is humbling. Thanks. I mean, to hear, I- I'm amazed that I can have an impact on a church here in North San Diego. When I hear I've had an impact on someone's life that God has allowed something I've done to impact someone even outside these walls. It just blows me away. I am the most unlikely idiot to ever be in the kingdom And then to be used in the kingdom is just grace on top of grace, followed by a little bit more grace. And then God has given grace and humbling to hear phenomenal to understand that. So guys, thanks for having me. This has been fun morning for me.
1: Cool. Awesome. All right, let's wrap this up because I I do want to be respectful to your time. So uh, gosh, how do I normally do this? Murdoch, it's been so long. I forgot how we do the wrap up. Uh, I am Chris. I'm Murdoch. And I'm Chris Brown. Hey, we are your church friends. Thanks for listening. That's what it is. That's how we do it. That's how we wrap up the show. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.